Welcome to the Anchored in Truth podcast. Anchored in Truth is an online ministry of Safe Harbor Baptist in Georgetown, Kentucky. Visit us online at safeharborbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. And our passage today is 2 Samuel 2, chapters 2 through 4. But I'm going to only read uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So, reading from chapter 2, starting in verse 1 of 2 Samuel. This is God's Word. Sometime later, David inquired of the Lord, Should I go to one of the towns of Judah? The Lord answered him, Go. And then David asked, Where should I go? To Hebron, the Lord replied. So David went there with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. In addition, David brought the men who were with him, each one with his family, and they settled in the towns near Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. They told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, The Lord bless you because you have shown this kindness to Saul your Lord when you buried him. Now may the Lord show kindness and faithfulness to you, and I will also show the same goodness to you because you have done this deed. Therefore be strong and valiant, for though Saul your Lord is dead, the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Abner, son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Saul's son, Ishbosheth, and moved him to Manahim. He made him king over Gilead, Asher, Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, over all of Israel. Saul's son, Ishbosheth, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel. He reigned for two years. And the house of Judah, however, followed David. The length of time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the words that we have just read come from your very mouth, are inspired, are without error, are profitable for our good. We praise you that the words you speak are exactly what we need to know and to hear, and to apply to our lives, that you do not leave us in this world without a word from the God who made us, but that you have given us food and water for our souls through your word. Lord, I pray that we would eat and drink deeply today. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We know that your ways are higher than our ways that we come here today as fallen people, broken in many ways, in need of your grace, in need of your kindness, and that you have poured out your grace on us through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we taste your grace today through your word, through your truth, through the visible elements of the Lord's Supper. Lord, we pray today for other ministries and places around the world that they may taste 
your grace. We pray for Young Life, the ministry here in Scott County that ministers to middle school and high school students in, in the public schools. We pray that you would bless that ministry, that they would be a, a gospel outpost among a people, a group of people who need to know you. Our schools are filled with teenagers and students who don't know you. And we pray for some of those folks in our church who are, are serving and volunteering with the Young Life Ministry, that you'd bless their efforts as they minister to students. We pray for Trinity Assembly of God here in Scott County, for that congregation, for Pastor Carl, that they would be faithful to preach your gospel even this morning as they gather, gather together, that they would be faithful to minister Jesus to the people around them here in this community, that you would bless their faithful efforts to be true to your word. We pray for the country of India. We know there is much strife in that country even today. I saw a headline about uh, just the, the push for the Hindu religion uh, in that country and to enforce it, to infringe on the freedoms of religion for Christians and Muslims and other religions in that group. And Lord, I just pray that you would do a mighty work in the nation of India and that you would spread your gospel, the true gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ throughout that country, that you would bring peace through the gospel. Lord, we ask now for you to bless the remainder of our time as we look to you through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You all may be seated. And at this time, if the kids would like to go downstairs to your classes, you're welcome to. And you're also welcome to stay in here with us as well as we continue worshiping here. If you have your Bibles, leave them open to 2 Samuel. As I mentioned, our sermon is going to cover three chapters today. Uh, and so it might be helpful to leave your Bibles open as we uh, work our way through those chapters together so you can see for reference uh, what we're looking at. You can't always get what you want. Now, I, I say that phrase, and for some of you, a song comes to mind, a song by the Rolling Stones. Now, I've, I've not heard of the Rolling Stones before, but I've heard of that they are a secular band, and the other elders wanted me to make sure I knew who they were. You can ask Pastor Chad about them later. But uh, no, that, there's a song that, that came out in the late 60s called You Can't Always Get What You Want. It was li it's listed by some uh, publications as one of the top 100 songs, selling songs of all time. And really the, the theme of that song is that it, it addresses some of the major topics, some of the pursuits of that culture in that day of how people sought what they wanted. They sought love. They sought involvement in better politics. They sought hope in drugs. And each verse of that song captures kind of an, an initial optimism. Hey, this is what we're looking for. But each verse ends with disillusionment. They don't find what they're looking for. They can't get what they really want. As we continue today in the book of 2 Samuel, we see, we continue to see the rise of David from a shepherd boy to king of Israel, Israel's greatest king. And we continue to see this is a man who, yes, 
was a man after God's own heart, but yes, was a fallen man. And ultimately, we see that while he was a godly king, we need a more godly king. We need a king in many ways like David, but a king better than David. David himself needed a better king. But as we look for our king, as David was looking to become king, he found himself in times of waiting. He didn't get what he wanted when he wanted it. And that's true for all of us in this life. That's really the theme of these, these chapters in 2 Samuel. God doesn't always give us what we want when we want it. But if we trust him, he will give us what we need. If we trust him, he will give us what we need. David had been promised the kingship. And undoubtedly, what David was hoping for was a smooth transition to the throne in a relatively timely way. But God didn't give it. As we will see, David's ascending to the throne was anything but smooth, and it took a long time. And what we see is that through this is that God calls imperfect people like David, like you and me, to trust in His perfect plans. He trusts imperfect people like us to trust His perfect plans. And the question really is, well, what was David willing to do in order to see God's promise fulfilled in his life? And what are you and I willing to do to see God's plan fulfilled in our lives? How long are we willing to wait? What are we willing to do while we wait? Well, we see in this passage two things that God calls us to do. The first thing we're called to do while we wait is to seek God's wisdom. Seek God's wisdom. Seems clear enough, but how often do we live life not really seeking God's wisdom, if we're really honest? We're seeking wisdom in our own thoughts, our ideas, other people, what they think we should do. You know, you and I need wisdom to navigate the uncertainty of life the challenges of life, when to act, when to not act, when to speak up, when to not speak up, when to bite our tongue, what to do while we're waiting. And God is the one who gives wisdom, right? It's clear we need a God who gives wisdom, and God is perfectly wise, and he is willing to give you his wisdom. David knew this, and David believed it. You know, God had told him plans about him becoming king. Let's, let's rem remember here, David didn't seek this out. Right? David wasn't born in, in shepherding his sheep in a field saying, I think I want to be king. I think I'm going to pursue that. No, that wasn't him at all. This was unexpected. And yet God uniquely chose him to become king. God initiated it. But it hasn't happened yet. All right, And so what does David do while he's waiting for all these big plans of God to happen? Let's look and see. Verse 1, sometime later, David inquired of the Lord. Now this is after where we left off last week was that uh, David gets the news that King Saul, his predecessor, and his son Jonathan have been killed in battle. All right, so, so the path looks clear at this point for David to become king. 
And so what we see is David says, well, what do I do? Well, he inquired of the Lord. He says this, should I go to one of the towns of Judah? The Lord answered him, go. And then David asked, well, where should I go? Right? Don't just go to, there's a lot of towns in Judah, God. What town do I go to? And the Lord said, Hebron. Now, Hebron's a, a an important town in the Bible. It's actually a place where Abraham lived, where God showed Abraham, this is the land I'm going to give you, right? So this land, this place of Hebron would remind David, this place is full of God's promises. It's a reminder that God keeps his promises. And me living here is a reminder that God has kept his promise to Abraham already. And so that in itself would encourage David, would remind him of who God is and what God does. And we need those reminders, too. God knows that. But after nearly 15 years at this point, David has been waiting since God told him he would become king. Could you imagine somebody tell you, hey, you're going to do this, and 15 years later you still haven't done it? At that point, you're just ready to give up. You lied to me. How could you tell me this was going to happen in my life? And it didn't. And most of those 15 years, David's been running for his life, not feeling like a king, hiding in a cave. And David has learned of Saul's death, Jonathan's death. At this point, David doesn't have another job. He's just waiting to be king, just hanging out. What do I do, God? Where do I go? He doesn't even know where he needs to be. And what does David do in this time? He seeks God's wisdom. He inquired of the Lord. He knows that God knows where he needs to be and when he needs to be there. And that God will give him wisdom step by step by step. He doesn't have to know when. He doesn't have to know exactly what the time is going to be or what that's going to look like. But he trusts God to guide him to the next place, the next step in life. And so what does he do? He goes where God tells him to go next. He trusts God's wisdom. He trusts God's word over what he sees, over what's in front of him. David, his two wives, and the men with him and their families go to Hebron, the surrounding area, and they settle there. Now, I need to mention this because I know every single one of you are probably thinking this. David has two wives? What's going on here? This is a man after God's own heart. You have to ask the question, what do we make with this issue of this issue in David's life? And let me just back up and, and, and give you a little biblical picture. All right, We go back to creation. So on Wednesday nights right now, we're doing a Bible study called Male, Male and Female. He created them, uh, looking at sexuality, marriage, and gender. And I would encourage you to come. We've only done one week so far, so you're welcome to come Sunday or Wednesday at 6. But what we saw the first week in that study was at creation, God had a design for men and women for marriage, right? And that design is one man, one woman for life. That's his design. Clearly, David is outside that design here. And so this is a a, a good reminder that this is descriptive of David's life, but not prescriptive for how we should live. Just because you see somebody in the Bible living a certain way doesn't mean we should live that way. Now, there's times where we should. 
So how do we know the difference? Well, we need to make sure. And, and if you're reading the Bible, this is important to keep in mind. Make sure when you are reading God's word, that when, especially when we have a narrative, a story, is telling us what happened and not telling us necessarily what we should do. Right? We have other places in the Bible where there are clear commands. Right? So we want to read things through, uh, this is what happened. We need to read things through, this is what God's telling me to do, and make sure that we know the difference. We can't just say, well, David lived with two wives. That justifies my, me doing that too. And there's actually religions that do that in America, like the Mormons. All right? And so we need to be good readers of our Bible and know, hey, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And if God said you shouldn't have more than one spouse, then I'm pretty sure David's wrong here. And this is just a reminder. David is not our Savior. David was not Israel's Savior. He was not perfect himself. And yet, God used this man in spite of this huge flaw, because what we're going to see is this flaw of him having two wives is going to blow up in his face in a few chapters. Big time. All right? So David needed a Savior, and we need a Savior with greater wisdom than David. But we see, though, con continued evidence in David's life where he was seeking wisdom from the Lord. In verses 4 through 7, we also see that he, God had given him a shepherd's heart for people, right? He wanted to care for people under his, uh, uh, under his care. And so we see that he praises the men of this town, Jabesh-Gilead, who had gone and recovered King Saul's body and buried him respectfully with honor, right? Now remember, King Saul was his enemy. King Saul tried to kill David, and David was just, what am I doing? What do I do here, right? And David then invites these men who cared for King Saul to join him and to follow his leadership and offer to, to care for them with the same goodness of the Lord. And so here we see that God, or David relying on God's wisdom, cares for others personally, even while he's waiting. And sometimes when we find ourselves in a season of waiting and uncertainty, life becomes about us. We live in our heads. And this is a picture that David, seeking God's wisdom, is able to still minister to others and care for others, even while he himself is uncertain about life. And this is a picture of, man, God can use that. That God can bless that when we're willing to trust him and wait on his plans and seek his wisdom. Now, you and I aren't waiting to become king of Israel. But make no mistake, we often, in this life, find ourselves in places of waiting. And I know just from knowing you all, that there are many of you all here today who in some ways find them, yourselves in a place of just waiting, like trying to figure out what's next, what's going to happen next. Uh, lately, if you're like me, I've been waiting for warm weather. I'm ready for summer break. If you're a teenager, you're ready to get your driver's license so you can get some freedom. But on a more serious note, some of us are waiting for things in our life to improve. Some of us are waiting on the next stage in life. Some of us are waiting for the next break 
from the hectic, crazy nature of life in this season we're in? How many times do you think, I can't wait for this to happen? Fill in the blank. You know, the, Christ, the Christian life, by definition, is one of waiting. We know that every single one of us knows that we live in a fallen world, right? Things in this world are broken by sin. Sin has infected everyone and affected everything. Romans 8.22 tells us that creation groans because of the presence of sin and its effects in this world. But we know, as Christians, we have been promised that God is redeeming his fallen creation, his people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we know that's ahead of us and we're not there yet. And what are we doing right now? We're waiting. We're waiting for that day. Every single one of us are waiting for that day, whether we think about it or not. And we know that he will redeem every single person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and he has welcomed him into their lives as Lord, that God will redeem you if you are willing to trust in Jesus. He has promised you a hope and a future if you follow Jesus Christ. Even while you wait for that to take place fully in your life. It's already happening if you follow Jesus, but it's not yet complete. It's not final. We're waiting. Let me just ask you, do you have that hope? You, you may be in a season of what's next, where am I going? But do you have a hope that you know where it ends, that you know that God is redeeming even the things that you don't understand or see and making you new. And he will bring you to glory and perfect glory forever with him. Do you know that today? If you don't have that assurance, come see me. Come talk with another believer that you know, the person you came with. Because the Bible is clear that is a promise, a guarantee for all who are willing to repent of their own sins, their own life, lived for themselves, and to follow Jesus by faith. Right? You can know that. You can have that promise today. And my prayer is that every single one of us would know it and believe it and live by it. And so we find ourselves waiting. And what do we do while we're waiting for God to do all these things? Just like David. We have to seek his wisdom for day to day, moment by moment, decision by decision. To not be overwhelmed by the weight of all the, the stuff. And minute by minute, decision by decision, seek God's wisdom. It's easy to look for wisdom in other places. I get it. People who sympathize with you. People who have had experiences like you. People who uh, care about you. Right, And that's fine. We should talk to people, especially we should talk to people who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? who we know want our good in Christ. But listen, people can get it wrong. Other Christians can get it wrong. I can get it wrong. You can get it wrong. Which means we need God's wisdom, first and foremost. We have to measure what we hear what people say, all of it by what God says, which means we need to know his wisdom. We need to know his word, his will for our lives. 
We need to know what he's calling us to, his commands, and measure our lives by that, which means we got to read, study, pray, fellowship, seek the Lord, have spiritual conversations, and while you wait, seek God's wisdom. Secondly, while you wait, trust God's plan. All right, the rest of our passage today, uh, chapters 2, 3, and 4, show God's plan moving forward. But let's be honest, if you read those chapters, and I encourage you to read them if you haven't already, it doesn't look like God's plan is moving forward. All right, some of the time you can see a little bit of progress happening. But if we're honest, most of the time it's hard to tell what in the world God is doing because, man, it's ugly. Life is ugly for these people in Israel in this day and time. And yet we see David continue to trust ultimately in God's plan that it would be very tempting to doubt, God, what, what are you doing here? And he trusted God's plan to get him to the end through the ups and downs. In several ways, we see that, that we can trust God's plan. First, we're, we're reminded to trust God's timing is better than ours. God's timing is better than ours. So at this point in his life, David became the king of Judah. Now, Judah, if you know anything about the nation of Israel, Israel had 12 tribes that, that were kind of the, the sons of uh, Jacob, right? And these 12 tribes uh, each had their own kind of plot of land in the nation. And uh, Judah was one of the tribes. So here in this passage, we see that David is made the king of Judah. So he's now the, the king of one of the 12 tribes. But he's not king of the other 11. And we see in chapter 2, uh, we're introduced to a man named Abner. All right? Now, Abner had been a general in King Saul's army that had been fighting against King David, or uh, fighting against David before he was king. And so Abner, after Saul dies, decides to make Saul's son king over the rest of the nation of Israel. He's now king over the other 11 tribes. Right, and the, the general enforces it. This man, the, the man who becomes king, his name is Ish Bosheth. Say that ten times in a row. No, that's Saul's son. All right. So for David, God's plan does not seem to be working out very quickly. Uh, as I mentioned, he's already been fleeing for his life for fifteen years since God said he was going to become king. Now we're told in chapter two that. He reigns two years over Judah, just Judah. So he's got two more years ahead of him at this point. Now, undoubtedly, it would not be easy for David to just sit back and wait on God to bring this thing about. 17 years. I mean, that's a long time. For some of you, that's longer than you've been alive. For me, not so much. But it's a long time to wait on something. In Psalm 13 uh, verse 1, we hear David crying out, How long, O Lord? Right? And, and we can easily hear him saying that here in this season of his life. How long, O Lord, am I going to have to just wander around the nation and uh, the land of Israel not knowing what I'm supposed to be doing? And yet David waited on God's plan to be accomplished in his timing. And that's okay. If you are waiting in life, waiting on something to happen in life, waiting on God to act and make changes and bring hope, it's not easy, 
But God is actually giving you an opportunity. Think about your, wherever you are in life right now. Whatever struggles you have, what, what things you want to see improve, God is giving you an opportunity. And that opportunity is to, to set aside your plans, to humble yourself, and to look to God and his plans. And just say, God, I, I can't do this, but I want to know your way. I want to trust your way. I want to give myself fully to you to lead me in your timing. And he's giving you a chance to really get to know him, to believe him, to put your faith in him to deliver. And he will not fail. You can trust him every time. He is faithful. So we, it reminds us we can trust God's timing. We can trust God's control. It's interesting that in, in this time in the history of Israel, we see what's going on. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, and verse 1, it says, There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. So what's going on in Israel? Civil war. They're fighting each other. God's people are fighting each other. Now, David's followers were led by a man named Joab. That's the general under David. Joab was David's nephew. And he's the general fighting Ab, uh, General Abner and the king Ishbosheth. Right now, you read in chapter two, and it just seems if you read through chapter two, you can scan through there if you have your Bibles in front of you. Everything is out of control. Like nothing is happening right. It's all out of control. Jo Joab and David's men versus these other Israelites, they end up having a twelve-on-twelve 12 duel. All twenty-four people die. Then David's ne other nephew, Asahel, chases after Abner, and he ends up getting killed. And you, get, you get people chasing each other around. They're, these people are, are relatives, right? They're God's people. They're all descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Israelites are fighting each other. There's fierce battles. Men are chasing each other. They're hunting each other down. And in all this, God is advancing his plan. His plan is being accomplished. What in the world? In 2 Samuel 3, verse 1, we read that there's this long war going on. Then we read this. David was growing stronger, and the house of Saul was becoming weaker. Apparently, in God's good plan, he knew that this couldn't just happen all, all of a sudden, that this had to be a gradual thing. That somehow... There had to be a coming together of all the tribes as one party faded away and the other one became more, more powerful. And so this was a part of God's plan. We don't understand why God would allow these people to kill each other, but we understand that ultimately, in the end, his plan was good. And whatever means had to happen to get to his good plan would be worth it. Right? And so life seemed out of control to people, but God was still sovereign over it. People were living in sin, pursuing power and greed and influence, and God still overcame that to accomplish his good purposes. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when things seem out of control in your life, remember, remember this passage. Remember, they're not in God's eyes. They are not out of control. 
Your life is not out of control in the mind and the plan of God. The question is, are you going to be on his team and join his plans, or are you going to look at it through your plans? God advances his plans through sin, through evil, through uncertainty. Like, all those things contribute to God bringing about his perfect plan. Which means you can trust him right now in the moment, whatever moment is it, that is. That he wants you simply to walk with him and to know that, to trust his control, to not give up hope, and to lean even more into Jesus. So we can trust God's control. Third, we can trust God's way. All right, as you keep reading 2 Samuel 3 and 4, we see God's plan continuing to unfold in the nation of Israel. Don't get me wrong, it's still a hot mess. All right, Ab- Abner switches sides. The general opposed to David switches sides and he says, oh, David, you're right, we need to follow you. And so a ceasefire is essentially declared. The problem is, David's general, Joab, doesn't get the memo. So what does he do? He kills Abner after a ceasefire has been declared. I told you it was a mess. All right, David doesn't punish Joab, putting him to death, even though he could have, but he does pronounce a curse on Joab and his family for generations. Then he holds a public funeral for Abner. Now, what is God doing? How is his plan advancing through all this? Well, through this, even David's imperfect justice, we see his heart. Right? We see that he is weeping again over a general who had been fighting against him. He's heartbroken that God's people are in this place where they're fighting each other. And he holds a proper funeral for this guy. And you just get the sense that the heart of David wants to honor God, wants God's people to follow God in his way, and he trusted him enough to live a life that would honor even his enemies. And God blessed that, right? That's what we see happening throughout this passage. God's blessing these little things that are happening. Look at verse 36 and 37 of chapter 3. It says, after this funeral and what David, how David treats Abner, this man they knew didn't like David, all the people took note of this, and it pleased them. In fact, everything the king did pleased them. Everything David did pleased them. And on that day, all the troops and all Israel were convinced that the king had no part in the killing of Abner, son of Ner. What we see here is that God is advancing his plan, even through the death of people, by bringing people to see the true David, right? To see that this is a king we can follow. We can get behind. We can be united behind him and follow God under his leadership. And David, then we see, as, as the story continues on, uh, Ishbosheth, the king of Israel, uh, opposes, who opposed David, he's assassinated by two guys. David holds them accountable for their sin and puts them to death for their sin. He says, they, they killed this righteous man, this king who opposed me, this righteous man. In all these events, God is putting his king step by step on the throne. You know, God didn't just say, David, here's your throne. I'm going to sit you on it right now. That's not what he did. Instead, he took him to this step. You're one step closer to the the throne, David. 
All right, here's this civil war. You're one step closer. All right, here this king is assassinated. You're one step closer. But isn't that how life works? We want God to just get us to the end now. And God says, no, I'm going to take you through this and through this and through this. And through it all, you're going to see me. And you're going to see how I'm faithful when other people aren't. And you're going to see how I'm going to provide what you need when you don't know how I'm going to do that. And you're going to see me. Because the goal is not for David to become king. The goal is for David to know God. And that's God's goal for you and I. It's not just that all our problems would go away. It's that we would know the faithful God who gets us through the things in life. Because that's the God we're going to be with forever. And he wants us to love him and to know him and to trust him. And so we see that David's desire to honor God, even when life was crazy, was a key for God bringing blessing, ultimate blessing to his life. You know, a major concern in these chapters is to, to make clear that David was a king that the people could follow. He wasn't a perfect king, though. We have a, a king that we can follow who will never fail us, who will always bring us through. You know, God's plan for his people at all times, his way, is the way that we are designed to wait. God has given us clear instructions on how we should live and the hope that we have when we live that way. Whether or not we live that way is evidence of if we trust his plan or not. Are we willing to do this even though we know God said not to? We don't really trust his plan. Are you willing to talk this way to somebody even though you know that doesn't please God? You don't really trust his plan and God blessing that, blessing your relationships with others. We're called to live above reproach as God's people because Christ is our King. He is our Lord. We don't have to do it our way. Like David, there are times in our lives where it can be hard to tell what God is doing. We're waiting. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We're asking, God, are you in control here or not? How's this going to end? And if we're believers, we know how it ends. We know how it ends. And we can look back and see in this passage and over and over again throughout God's word, throughout history. These are facts. This is what happened in history. We see it repeatedly. In the ups and downs of life, God always accomplishes his good plans. Always. And we see that promise in Romans 8.28. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to to his purposes. Do you love him? Is the question. God doesn't promise to tell us the how and the why and the when of his plan, but he promises good in the end. And that should be enough. If we know Jesus, the the one who was crucified and resurrected and risen from the dead, it should be enough to know that, hey, we don't have to know the, the how, the when, and the why. We just know this risen Savior has promised good to me because my life is hidden with him. And he gives the grace to endure with confidence and peace and knowing that we are where God wants us and he's promised to take care of you, care of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are exactly where God wants you right now. Did you know that? 
doesn't feel like it maybe. But in your place in life, God is sovereign over that, and he can bring good from that. Now, I'm not saying if you're in sin that you're exactly where God wants you, right? But I mean the circumstances of your life, the place that he has you. Clearly, if you're doing things contrary to God's will, you're not where God wants you with those things, right? But God knows where you are. He knows where he's placed you. And he's bringing good from those things. But I want to be clear, this promise is only for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. If you have not trusted in Christ alone for salvation, you have no promise of ultimate good in your life. In fact, you have chosen to cut yourself off from that promise. You have chosen your own way over what God has promised to you if you would trust in him. And he's simply saying, it's your choice. You, I'm offering you my life, my plan, my hope, my future. And you can follow me to that place, or you can live life your way. Your choice. Throughout these chapters, God continues to work in establishing a king over a united kingdom. That's God's plan. That's what God is going to accomplish. And ultimately, that's what Jesus accomplishes, a king over a united kingdom. But the king had to wait. The king had to wait. David had to wait. For us today, the Christian life is about waiting until our king returns. And make no mistake, though, God is working while you're waiting. The process can be hard. Difficulty is part of God's plan. The question is, are you going to seek his wisdom and listen to him? Or are you going to seek your own? Let me encourage you. Trust the Lord's plan for your life, not your own. There's hope. There's joy. There's peace in knowing that you're trusting his plan, his way, and his time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you, even through the challenges of David's life and the challenges of the nation of Israel, that your word speaks truth that we need to hear. This isn't just history of this world. This is history of you working and accomplishing your plan. Even through the sins of people, even through the struggles of the world. Lord, this reminds us that you are good, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that we can trust you. Lord, if there's anyone here who finds ourselves trusting in ourselves, trusting in our own way, trusting in our thoughts, Lord, help us to lay those things at your feet to seek your wisdom, to trust your plan by giving our lives to Jesus. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.